Rachel Smythe, most folks at this point know you from Lore Olympus, which is your webcomic. We're delighted to say we have a Barnes & Noble exclusive edition of Lore Olympus Volume 1. And Volume 1 contains episodes 1 through 25 of this amazing webcomic that has 5.4 million subscribers. You're up to your 180th episode as of early November, which is really exciting. So the books are catching up with the work itself. But can we go back to the start of everything in 2017 when you're just deciding to create what becomes Lore Olympus? What made you choose comics as your medium? This is a good question and an interesting time. I have always like dabbled in drawing when I was small. I come from a reading family, but I struggled with learning how to read for a very long time for a variety of reasons. One, like my eyesight was quite bad and no one realized this until a bit later. And then also the various issues with dyslexia and things like that. So I think it was easier for me to draw a picture of things than read them. Like mm -hmm. if I wanted to communicate when I was younger, I could just be like, oh, I don't know specifically how to write the thing that I would like to write however I can do a drawing and people will look at this and be like oh that's the gist of what you meant so I think illustration has always been like a form of communication for me that I had and also I think again when I was small I would like look at picture books and be like I can't read this but I can look at the illustrations and you know imagine what might be happening so I think a lot of my urge to draw comes from that. I have never considered myself a writer up until now. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I'm a writer now. That happened, <laughs> which is, you know, I kind of fell into it. You know, I thought perhaps like earlier in life, like in my early 20s, I was like, perhaps this could be a job, question mark. But also, you know, when I finished my design degree, it was sort of the full recession. So there's not a lot of paid work for people who are wanting to do illustration for a living. And especially because, you know, I live in New Zealand and there is like not as many, you know, opportunities to do drawing for a living. So there was that. I focused on my job as you know, graphic designer, things like that. And then I think in 2017, I think at the time I was like, oh, you know, I had stumbled across Webtoon as a website and had been partaking in the stories on there and thought, oh, I could, you know, have a go at this because I don't know how many people know this, but there is two sections to the website. There's like the canvas and originals and canvases aside where, you know, anyone can use it. It's available for anyone who is like, I'd like to make a comic and I'd like to upload it and share it with people. And I thought, oh, you know, I can see these people over here on the other section of the website and they appear to be like updating every week, which is absolutely insane to me. Like I said, I've always like dipped in and out of drawing and, you know, done some illustration work, but, you know, there was still a lot of fundamentally that wasn't there. And I was like, I guess I can like challenge myself and have a go and, it would be really nice if I could like update something every week. Like it doesn't have to be a whole story or anything like that, but I can just have a go. At this stage, I had no following, like none. Like I think maybe I had like 20 followers on Twitter or something, mm -hmm. you know, drifted, blown around in the breeze. So uh, this was very much like a story that I wrote specifically. Like, you know, when 
you're talking to like authors or what it, what have you, like later into their career and they're making something and generally you kind of have this sense of like, who is this for? Who is your audience? So specifically in making Laura Olympus at the time or the pilot, I was like, this is for me. And I can't imagine anyone else reading it. This is pretty much like just a personal project for fun, you know, to challenge myself. And I just can't imagine other people partaking in it and I remember I like uh, this is probably going to come up in like a few interviews but I think I did like my first chapter which was I believe six panels and I put it up and I was like nice and I went out I think I went for a drive with my partner somewhere and I came back and I had six comments and I was like six comments yes <laughs> like, what six people read this and liked it enough to leave a comment and like yeah the rest is kind of history I think that's amazing because I learned a very cool thing about you while I was researching this you ended up with a thousand followers in the first month and webtoons turned around and said would you like to become a paid creator with us I did get like around a thousand followers in a month that is true I was like on vacation somewhere and I got like a little like Webtoon will send you out a little badge that says, congratulations, you've got a thousand followers. And I was like, on vacation at the time. And I was like, what? (laughs) A thousand followers? What the heck? And I think, you know, from that point on, I was like, okay, I'm going to keep plugging away at it. And yeah, I think it was probably like, I believe I began it in like April Mm -hmm. of 2017 and I think in November so roughly around this time of year I got an email that was like hey pal do you want to you know do this officially for the website and I was like yes yes please so (laughs) the part about the 1,000 subscribers in like a month or so that that is roughly true yes but they weren't quite ready to be like hop on a board (laughs) right away it took like (laughs) you know half a year or so well I'm glad they asked and I'm glad you said yes yes But of all the gods, you're writing about Persephone and Hades, but mostly Persephone. Why did you choose her? I think like, you know, when you're a kid and you just like something and you don't have the language skills, what have you yet to articulate why you like something, you just come across something in, in your tweens and you're like, this resonates with me so much. My God. And I don't think that's ever left me. Uh, Like, I don't even have a concrete answer at this point. I think in some ways, like, especially at this stage of my life, you kind of, like, look at Persephone and you're like, are you the millennial? Because she's one of the only goddesses that goes through sort of, like, a job change, if you will. Like, a lot of other, like, deities that you look at, they're like, this is the thing that I do. I was born into it. I'm doing it. Like, I'm not saying it's strictly her, but there are very, very few deities in mythology who, like, had one job, and then they had another job. They switched careers. So I'm like, yeah, she's, like, our millennial, for sure. <laughs> I also feel like she's a bit of the audience stand-in. I mean, she's learning about Olympus when she first shows up. Oh, yeah. Um, she, like, in terms of, like, Laura Olympus, if we're talking, like, within, like, my book and things, she mm-hmm. functions as kind of like our fish-out-of-water character. So the other characters can explain to her what is going on. And you can be, like, as a reader, look at it and be like, oh, this is the world-building. Thank you so much. I think the modern updates are fun, though. The gods carry cell phones. Everyone's got flashy cars. You know, Zeus is mm-hmm. in a suit. It's fun. And we're going to get more in-depth with the illustrations. 
Can we talk about Persephone's hair for a second? This is the most excellent touch, this idea that you've done with her hair and and how it represents her emotional states. I believe like a million years ago, back when I was like a teen something, I think I had like written another like little story for myself originally that had like a character that also had this very like mood changey hair. And I was like, this was a good idea. Like as an adult, I look back on it and I was like, this is a good idea. I'm going to just reincorporate this uh, storytelling mechanism into my comic just as like a great visual cue for people to look at and be like, oh, she is in distress. And like, I personally have a super short attention span, like a tiny little pee sized attention span. And I need to like draw a variety of different things. And anyone who like makes a comic or, you know, works in any type of uh, illustration knows what I mean when it's like you have to like commit to something and you have to draw that thing relatively the same. And I'm like, I've got to spice it up. I've got to have something <laughs> to like different to draw. Otherwise I will not commit to this whole project and I will not be able to like withstand the length of time that it is taking me to do it. So it is good to have like some visual variety. And also like she's got like her mood changing flower crown, which I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And like these, you know, uh, visual metaphors can also be applied to other characters. So we've got like Hades and he goes all like starry sky, nighttime sky when he is pissed off. Like, I know we're trying to, like, keep to this one book, but, like, there are some scenes where Zeus is, like, he looks like one of those balls that you see at the science centre and they've got, like, the static inside the ball Mm -hmm. when you touch it. I don't know what it's called. I've forgotten, but he is based on one of those. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it is. I have to look it up. But I'm, like, you know, when he's doing his special, I'm, like, yeah, he looks like one of those balls that you touch and the static goes to your hand. And I know everyone's going to be like, Rachel, it's this, this is what you're talking about, but I'm drawing a blank right now. I think it's something to do with Tesla. I should know too, but I can't remember either, but they're fun. I mean, I do remember having fun with them at the science museum. (laughs) I really am looking forward though to talking to you about your art because you have a lot of fans at BNN, obviously, but the art is spectacular. It's so bold and color saturated, but also it reminds me a lot of sort of this mid-century modern illustration style. So I'm talking about sort of the 1950s and the early 1960s. What was the inspiration behind the art for you? I do really like Mary Blair. And for those who don't know, she is like a concept artist for Disney. I think my favorite concept art that she did was like for Cinderella and stuff. And all the characters are very blocky and very distinct. So she is a huge inspiration. Obviously, like manga and anime, uh, Disney. So there's a mix of a lot of things. I think my style that I have currently was definitely, I don't mean to sound like self-deprecating when I say this, but it was kind of born from like what I didn't know how to draw. Because obviously... I don't consider myself to be like the most, what would you say, have the like a fantastic fundamental base to work with. (laughs) Um, But I kind of do try to think more on like silhouette and feeling rather than like having a fantastic grasp of anatomy, if that makes sense. If I can do like a really bold shape that invokes a feeling in somebody, 
maybe the arms are too long or maybe the legs are too long or the head is too big but people will look at it and be like oh yeah I get this feeling I know what you're you're trying to say when I look at this hooray so a lot of it is born from just you know trying to do a very distinct or like dynamic shape that translates well to people it's very cool too because obviously Hades takes on much deeper darker tones in color there's a lot more black a lot more dark purple and then when Mm. you're in olympus everything gets a little lighter and a little brighter yeah i think um in designing the characters and choosing what colors they are some of them are based like on color theory so you've got hades and persephone and just those two colors like really pop together so if you're going to have like persephone in the underworld she's going to be like this very vibrant pink color And she's going to, you know, really stand out on like those really dark, like navy blues and things. And, you know, vice versa for Hades when he's in Olympus, he's going to be, there's going to be like high contrast there. And when you're looking at some of the characters like Ares, again, like, sorry, I know we're like mentioning to the first novel, trying really hard, but he's meant to be like a rusty sword color. So his color choice is more thematic rather than, you know, to do with color theory, if that makes sense. You're also doing your art on the computer. And to me, it looks all hand-drawn. How did you end up doing the work on the computer? I use this digital screen called a Cintiq. And basically, uh, all of my drawings are done in Photoshop. And I use like a lot of brushes that look, you know, like a natural paint. I really like using those brushes because when I was growing up and, you know, getting used to doing digital art, I think a lot of people will know what I mean when they hear this podcast. They'll be like, oh yeah, I know, I know what you are getting at. But like digital art used to be really like the popular thing to do at the time was to do very smooth lines, very like a particular type of shading and treatment to the work, which was fine. Like, you know, it's fine. It's just what's trendy at the time. But now I feel like there's been a lot of like development in what you can have with like a Photoshop brush. For example, like my line art, it's not fantastic. Like I can't do very, very, very smooth lines. So I use, you know, a pencil brush and it looks like more natural for the style of how I draw. It's a lot more forgiving. You know, it's pretty much the same as like how you would draw on pencil and paper, but you just do it on a big screen instead. So we know there's a streaming show coming from the Jim Henson company. We don't know yet where it's going to air, but we do have the book. What's that experience like for you to see your work laid out in a new way? Well, it's good. It's very exciting. I think like when I first was, you know, making Laurel Olympus in the vertical scrolling format, people would be like, oh, this is great. Do you think I'd be able to have it as like a comic book, like a traditional one? And like I mentioned before, I have worked as a graphic designer. And so I know in my bones that that is a very difficult undertaking. It is not easy to like re-lay out, you know, something like a comic just because both print and vertical scroll have a really distinct storytelling flow to them. Like if you are working on like a traditional comic, like, you know, for the most part, like if you need to have like a certain flow of your panels as they work, from like left to right or right to left, depending on where you are in the world uh, and like how they go down the page and how you use your spreads. Like there's definitely like a language and an approach to that. I haven't really made any print-based comics prior to Laura Olympus. So I'm like, you know, I'm not an old hand at it. I don't know. 
I do understand how to do it for vertical scrolling, which is a lot of it is to do with the power of the reveal. So yeah, when I was approached for books and things, I'd be like, I don't know if I could do this task. But luckily, you know, uh, my publisher was like, we will provide someone who will do this, who's awesome at it. And I was like, yeah, because if I did this, we wouldn't have a book yet. We'd still be waiting and all very frustrated. So I'm very glad that someone, very, very happy that someone else did it for me. Uh, and he is a wizard, I'm pretty sure. So when you're sitting down to plan an episode mm-hmm. of Lore Olympus on Webtoons, yes. do you start with an image or are you starting with a combination of word and image or are you just starting with words? It depends. I find personally it really helps to have the script first. But I'm not like married to the script. I'm not like, this is the script and this is how it must be. But I'll sit down, I'll write a script and be like, yep, this is good. And then I basically have a bunch of files, which I would refer to as pages, but there's a very loose term when you're dealing with vertical scrolling format. Um, And each of those pages has about like five or six panels on it. And I basically go through and lay out my script on my canvas if you will and do a rough draft sketch of the whole thing first before like colors and inks and what have you are done our exclusive edition of lore olympus has an image of persephone and hades on the cover that's really striking and it's from the interior it's really terrific, though. How did you decide that was the image you wanted to use for our edition? When I go about like doing the cover, I'll generally like approach my publisher with a handful of concepts. I'll do like three to six ideas for a cover and be like, what do you think? Which one do you like? So the one that ended up going, because this was like, obviously when I first did this for the first volume, this was not um, an opportunity, which had yet mm-hmm. uh, become apparent to me, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So I was just like, here's a lot. And the one that is actually on the on the Barnes & Noble cover is my favourite concept. Anyone who works in the creative industry will know the struggle of when you've like got like a bunch of concepts And you're like, this one's the best one in my heart. And I love it so much. And I know 100% that everyone's going to pick this one. And then you hand them in and then they don't pick it. And you're like, what? (laughs) How could you not go with this one? But I love the other cover also. It turned out great. Now I'm like in this position where I feel like saying one cover is better than the other, but they're both my children and I love them equally. There we go. But I think that they both have different strengths. Like one, the one that is like the standard one, really like encapsulates like the vibe of like the whole series while I feel like the Barnes and Noble cover is like really striking and like captures a certain intimacy that the other one doesn't but they're both good I love them equally and that brings me to another question I have about your editing process though there is a previously unpublished comic at the end of Lore Olympus and it's about Hera and her coat. And I'm just going to leave it at that. For folks who know, you know. And for folks who are going to discover that story, it's really fun. You should read it. Mm -hmm. But how much work do you end up cutting in the process of just creating your weekly episodes? Good question. I think I have a lot of, I don't want to say fluff, because I actually don't like the word fluff as a description for things. But I have like a lot of like, excess character dialogue 
where if I had like a million years to work on this project, there would be like a lot of like jokes and like nuances that like, you know, sometimes I don't have the the time to put in. So it's mainly little things like that. Like, you know, there'll be like an extended conversation that goes for maybe 10 panels. And I'm like, this is probably like not the most necessary, either because it doesn't tell you as a reader anything new or it just, you know, it's kind of like a joke that like the reader just doesn't require but it's, it's like a nice to have so often I'll do like a script and I'll have chunks in it which will be like a nice to have but like not super necessary like if I have time to put it in that's great if I don't it's not the end of the world and that's generally my approach occasionally I will write a chapter it doesn't happen very often where you know my editor will look at it and be like this is like <laughs> this is not the thing to do in this moment and I'm like oh okay Uh, so that is like one of the instances where you know I have like this chapter with here and I won't you know try I'll try not to do spoilers but you know it's kind of a chapter with Hera but it's not really about Hera as much and my editor at the time was like you know I don't think the first uh, chapter that features Hera should be so much about the other characters like that one is it should be you know more about stuff she's doing which is fair it's fair you have taken these classic stories of greek mythology some of which are problematic i think anyone who's had a chance to read greek mythology knows what we're referring to but you've created from that problematic source material a really vibrant world that is yours and the dialogue is snappy it's really sharp it's really funny it's really smart it's also really relatable and you've created relatable characters out of mythological gods and you've created a community of committed fans and the cosplay is fantastic you publish fan art on your Instagram and on your Twitter as well. And it's really fantastic to see. When did you realize you had tapped into this world beyond the world you created? Such a good question. Uh, (laughs) I think I'm trying to think of like an exact moment where I was like, wow, this was really taken off. I think maybe, oh God. From the outside, it feels like 2019 was sort of the moment where it started to take off it's kind of always been in the process of just growth all the time if that makes sense I think like a really good way of putting it is this has succeeded so much more than I ever could have imagined anything I could have made would succeed so it's kind of always like just pushing past what I could believe that I could do like I said when I made the first six panels and I got like a couple of comments I was like wow this is amazing so you know that is a milestone for me or like receiving 1,000 followers that is also you know a valid milestone to have and it's kind of one of those how long is a piece of string so like I remember because I was still doing my day job for you know a relatively long time and I would like come home and I would just have like all these emails and things people being like this is interesting can I please ask this question about it or you know people would just like send me fan art or tag me in fan art like I remember the first time I got a fan art and I was like what is this someone took the time out of their day to draw a fan art this is crazy it definitely took off in a way where I was like holy crap Yeah, probably in 2019, definitely when 
they announced that the show was in production, like, especially, like, in... There was definitely different levels of, like, attention that I got. So I think, like, the first half of 2019 was, like, a very, like, contained level where I was like, wow, this is cool. Like, you know, there's always going to be, like, a high volume of stuff and it's going pretty well. But, yeah, definitely when the the show was announced in October, I was like, oh, yeah, this is kind of, like, not scary, but kind of getting to a level where I was like, this is like the most visibility like I've ever had. And I kind of have to like start approaching the way that I do things differently just because like the visibility that I have is like on a next level now. Like I cannot just like interact with people the same way that I was before or like be as chummy. Cause I just be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to talk to anybody all the time. And now I'm like, you can't talk to anybody all the time. It's not a good idea or you'll burn out. Um, or like you can't like just go onto Twitter and like post whatever you know prior to this you know you could just go onto like whatever social platform and be like today I had a bad day for x y and z and now I'm like I can't really do that anymore it's a bit different. I want to step away from your book for a second and ask you if you have any favorite books of Greek mythology that you've sort of used as reference for your project. Oh okay um this is super, like, if I'm most, like, boring Odyssey ever, but I really like the Odyssey. They did a translation for the Odyssey. I really, I have to remember this woman's name. Emily Wilson. Yes. Emily Wilson oh is the name God. of the woman you're looking for. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She did a translation of this book, and I love that book. I'm, like, the energy of, like, it's just, it's one of my favorite books. Like, in general, I love the Odyssey, mainly because, it's just, it's kind of like, I mean, one is like the backbone of storytelling and a lot mm-hmm. of ways. like a lot of like, in, in general, like a lot of like, you know, Greek stories are like the backbone of like storytelling from, you know, predominantly like from Western culture. So there's like so much there that this is why we write. This is why we tell stories the way that we do is because of these stories a lot of the time. Also, I shouldn't speak for authority, so take everything I say with a grain of salt. <laughs> but, like, it's such a great story. These elements from a modern lens that we may not understand and, and working out what they might mean to people back then is so exciting. Like, I really enjoy it. But there's a bit that I remember you know, reading previously where Odysseus is basically like, I think it's like on his last legs before he goes home and he goes to their fishing village and they do like sports <laughs> for lack of a better description. And he starts crying because he's very tired and he's not good at the sports. And for a long time, I thought it was hilarious. And I was like, he's crying because he's not good at sports. But then I listened to a lecture and I found out he was crying because people don't recognize him as a hero anymore. And his name is not widely known. So he's like sacrificed all his stuff. And basically his for lack of a better description, uh, his street cred is not theirs, no. So that's why he's upset. And it's just it's so, you know, interesting finding that sort of stuff out about the stories that you love. Language changes over time and translations evolve. I mean, that's part of the importance of the Emily Wilson translation is she just went back and fixed a lot of the word choices that earlier translators had used, not all of which were accurate. And some were more about the time in which the translation was being done and less about the original text. 
Yes. Oh, it's so good. And she has such a good description, like, about why she did what she did before the story starts. And I just, I live for it. I just, I love it so much. I'm so yeah. glad you like it as much as I do. I think it's fabulous. Yeah, like, she's got, like, theories in there where she's, like, potentially the story could have been written in patches by a woman because it's like so favorable towards women I'm like yeah that is true it is really favorable towards women I'm like Penelope's a boss she's fantastic can we talk about some of the other writers and artists and mythologies beyond the Greek that have influenced you as a writer and an artist oh goodness um okay I uh, I really like Neil Gaiman but I feel like that's the case for a lot of people particularly the Sandman series like that was very much a a staple in my household growing up like I said I did come from a reading family and you know we would go to the library like at least once a week to get books out Uh, we constantly got books we didn't really like watch that much tv when I was a kid Um, so we were just like books all the time so I mean predominantly I personally learned to read from comic books mainly like that was super helpful for me I really liked Asterix I read a lot of Asterix as a kid I do not remember specifics of what was in it I have not read it in a long time but I do remember enjoying that immensely as a kid um what else Terry Pratchett definitely a Terry Pratchett family read a lot of Terry Pratchett When I was a kid, I had, like, a really weird obsession with The Hunchback of Notre Dame, like, the Victor Hugo one. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, this is a weird thing for, like, a child to be into, but there you go. (laughs) 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 As a book where I'm just like, yeah, and I'm, like, trying to go to, like, primary school and convince my peers that this is a good book to read. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) Not for primary school. Um, What else? Oh, no, there was something else that I really enjoyed. Sorry, I'm like digging in the memory barrel. And Neil Gaiman has that very cool Norse myths retelling that oh, he did. He just knows how to do it, man. Yeah. Like, I think he's in my country as well. And I keep wanting to be like, I think he did like quarantine here. And I want to be like, can we just talk? Like, I know that everyone wants to talk to you, but like, you know, call me. But probably he's probably very busy. Ah, oh, yeah. He just has such a fantastic approach to like writing anthropomorphic personifications as a whole like he just knows how to do it and he has like I don't know his approach to his work it has so much empathy and kindness which I think is really what carries it throughout the years. Is Asterix what made you a reader as a kid? What was the thing that grabbed you and you know made you say I want to be part of this I want nothing but books? That was kind of the first comic that I had access to. And like, I don't know if it's about like being like, oh, this is some content that I specifically selected for myself, but it was, you know, what was around it at home. And, you know, I looked at it a lot. I think probably like the way the women were drawn when I was a little kid, I was like, yeah, this this is very nice. This woman is drawn very well. (laughs) Fantastic job. It's hard with stuff as a kid because you like things and you can't remember why you liked it. And it's like this very vague memory. And I'm like, did I like this because I liked it? Or did I just like it because it exists in my home and I just had access to it? Yeah, I think the drawings are so bold and expressive and distinct from what I can remember as well. It's, It's very like vibrant too. It's like, it's just a fun comic from what I remember. What's your favorite part? Of creating Lore Olympus? 
Um, definitely brainstorming. I love the bit where you're trying to come up with something new and you're either in the shower, because that's the only place with no internet. No, I will not be getting a waterproof phone because that will just be the worst thing to do ever for me. Or like you're just going for a walk and you're brainstorming and you're kind of coming up with like ideas or way to resolve plot lines and it's all very exciting and new. And I like when, you know, parts of the story are resolved or like, you know, something dramatic is happening and getting to see readers' reactions to that. I also like, because we were talking about like the community and stuff before and how strong it is. And I really enjoy like, you know, seeing community growth and how people make friends with each other and how people, you know, start creating together and like doing all this fan work. And like, that's very touching. I mentioned before, I'm like not fantastic with communicating with other people as a whole. Like I often feel verbally quite, I guess, like shy, I suppose. So like making connections with people has often been quite difficult for me. And, you know, this can be like really isolating, but it's so incredible to, you know, make this book that so many people are interested in reading and enjoying and they look at it and they're like, oh, this feels, it's really relatable. And, you know, I kind of feel at this point, that's a really nice way of having, you know, some sort of like being recognized or having validation. And it may not be like in a one-on-one conversation with someone, but, you know, there are, you know, I, I feel like more understood with people out there, like enjoying my book. That's so great. Do you have any advice for comics creators who are just starting out now? I do. Like advice is kind of dangerous because I hate being like, here's the recipe for success because I kind of feel like it's really just buck wild what can happen. You never know. And it's kind of insane. But I think when creating anything, even if you're just drawing or you're just writing or you're making a comic, you should really do what you really want to do. This is the thing that you should do. And you'll find that people will probably be like, oh, I really like this thing too. And I think the other thing in terms of if you're if you're wanting to think more commercially, is like you should keep an eye out for trends and storytelling, like in terms of, you know, how people are partaking in stories now. And you should, you know, keep an eye out for all those different advances in publishing. Because I feel like specifically... There's so many talented people out there. It's immense what's out there. And a lot of it is like about, you know, gaining that visibility or that foothold. And it can often be very difficult. And like, I know this because it took me the second of like 10 years to like make any sort of a dent or like get recognized. So it will feel like a bit of a struggle. But, you know, I was lucky enough to like, you know, stumble upon Webtoon, which was relatively new at the time. And, you know, gain a position there quite early on. So I think it is good to keep looking out for like how things are changing and take advantage of that. If you find that the publishing avenue that you're looking at may not be working for you, obviously still keep trying, but, you know, try to think outside of the box if you can. Sounds really good. We've stayed away from some story points because for the readers who don't know the world of Lore Olympus, we want them to be surprised and delighted and yes. touched. 
Rachel Smythe, thank you so much for joining us on Poured Over. Lore Olympus Volume 1 is out now. Volume 2 lands in July 2022. So go ahead and pre-order those copies. Thank you again for joining us. No problem. Thank you for having me. It's been super fun. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. The show is available on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts.